0: I'm from a small school, but if you have the will and if you have the tenacity to want to be the best guy out there, wherever they put you, you'll do the best you can. I was fortunate enough just to make it on special teams, just pure raw talent. I could run and jump, and I, I wasn't afraid to tackle, and I wasn't afraid to block. And um, I, all that to Marty how I give me a chance.
1: How do you want Browns fans to remember you?
0: Banging, banging. Show up every day, give you what I got. That's it. Yeah.
1: Hello again, everyone, and welcome to Club 46 Driven by Bridgestone. I'm Jay Crawford, and if you don't know by now, this is the show where we get the opportunity to sit down and have long discussions with former and current Cleveland Brown greats. And today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Reggie Langhorn, former wide receiver for the Cleveland Browns. Gave us so many great memories. Reggie, great to see Jay, you. Jay, thanks for having me. Thanks for making time for us. Um, Nine seasons in the NFL, seven of them with the Cleveland Browns. When you look back on your career, uh, is there one moment that you hold near and dear in your heart that most describes you as an NFL player?
0: Well, there's probably a few. Um, But the one that, I guess, put me in a a good place is when uh, Marty Schottenheimer uh, uh, came to me and asked me if I was uh, ready to be a starter on uh, on the squad. Uh, it was my second year in the second week. We had just played the uh, Chicago Bears, and they were the Super Bowl champs in 85. Um, I had a good, uh, a good training camp, but uh, they had a guy named Terry Greer who came from Canada who did some good things up there, and he was a starter for that game. Uh, Terry didn't do exactly what they had hoped for, so Marty came to me and asked if I was ready to start. Um, and I was ready, and I was grateful to have an opportunity because Marty was the guy that drafted me uh, and, and Marty had this way of, of looking you in the face and making you feel like you would do anything for him. And he was giving me that shot. So uh, that would be my day. And that was Houston. I had a chance to catch a winning touchdown. Uh, I think I went for over 100 yards, and that was my first official start in National Football League.
1: Was that your welcome to the NFL moment? Was that something that stands out to you, that, that first start?
0: Well, well <laughs> yes, that stands out to me. But, but my first uh, wake-up call for, the, uh, for, for my time in the league was, was I played in front of 80,000 people. I went to a Division II school. Uh, there was 1,200 students at my school, and probably played in front of three or four thousand, usually on Saturdays. So uh, the first game we had here was a Monday night football game against the Pittsburgh Steelers and Donnie Shell got a nice shot at me. And that was the awakening because I knew who Donnie Shell was. I had watched Donnie Shell all my life. And here he is at the end of his career and I'm 21 years old. And, uh, and I took a shot from Donnie Shell in the Pittsburgh still. And the fact I stayed close to Marty the whole game, just so my friends at home could see me on TV because <laughs> you don't, you don't play division two football and get seen on TV. So that was a big deal for me. That's funny.
1: <laughs> um, we're going to come back and talk a lot about your playing career, but I want to go back, um, before that to the early years um, growing up in Virginia. What was life like for a, a young Reggie Langhorn? So my
0: folks have been married, I don't know, 54 years or so. And I got one sister who happens to be an engineer. Um, I, we, uh, we lived in a nice home. My, my old man and mom worked hard. I think they built the 11, 12-room uh, ranch house they still live in today. Back in 1971, really, we moved in this house. My old man was a worker. Yeah. Um, and, and that was it. I mean, I had a close-knit family. My mom had um, six other siblings who had sons, and so we competed against each other. And there was nothing. Uh, I mean, it could be any, any weekend, all of the grandchildren would be together. We would go what we call down the woods. Yeah. The Woods was our cousins at the other end of the block, and right. uh, and we go at it. We play ball all day, whether it be football, basketball, or baseball. We absolutely competed, and that was the thing for me. I had a cousin, um, and his name was Harold, and I call him H uh, D. He's three years older than me, four years older than me, and I followed him everywhere. He was the best athlete in my family. Um, his dad passed away, so he stayed at home to help his mom. And uh, for me, he was the the guy I looked up to. Um, and I still do today. He is still my my number one really? guy that I follow. I call him when when I'm in need for conversation. He is my my top guy, and he was a bad athlete. Yeah.
1: yeah. Do you remember how your sports journey began?
0: Well, I, I uh, you know by playing with my my cousins and, and watching them, I went out for the football team. There was no little league um, in my community back then, at least not for for. Um, African-Americans I might right. say I'm from Smithfield small town right now there's a place where there was um, little league football because we have one high school in my hometown and then there's an academy so the academy kids had little league football we did not um, so I didn't get a chance to play a controlled football until I was 13 years old uh, you're talking you know late 60s early 70s sure. around different that time. time different time um, and then I just went out for the team I had uh, my cousins Joe Namath um, uh, at Christmas uh, shoes and helmet that he got. Yeah. I tried out on the team for the with those Joe namers. I you know I don't know what they would cost back then, maybe 15, 20 bucks. They were plastic shoes. Um, I ended up getting some shoes. I got to be a, a a safety. I got to play as um as an eighth grader and a ninth grader I became a starter and did pretty good. Played linebacker off um on right guard and then my sophomore year I got moved up to varsity and I became a starter. I took the starting job playing defensive end uh, as a sophomore in high, you a high school. Right I was second team all conference As a, as I was,
1: (laughs) how did that you, there must've been a body transformation point. It's no,
0: no, I've always been this size. I'm from a small school, but if, if, and I'm still that way, if you have the will, and if you have the tenacity to want to be the best guy out there, wherever they put you, you'll do the best you can. Um, We didn't have a lot of tough guys um, and our team wasn't very big. and, And so I ended up playing right guard as a ninth grader. Absolutely.
1: That area of the country is a hotbed, though. Oh, yeah. For athletes. Oh yeah. Why? I,
0: I you know, I, I tell people names: Alonzo Mourning and, and Percy Harvin and oh. Bruce Smith and, and Alan Iverson and Michael Vick. All these guys are guys that I, uh, I grew up around, or that they were before or after me. And Bruce and I hung out together. Bruce Smith's uh, friends from high school were my roommates in college, so that's how Bruce and I got together when we were 18 years old, and both of us, you know, were freshmen in college. He went to Tech. I went to Elizabeth city and then eventually he was a number one pick in the NFL draft. I was number <laughs> 175 <laughs> but it's okay. and we still buzz today. Yeah. That's, yeah. Great. that's yeah.
1: great. Um, was there, was it all football for you or did you play everything?
0: No, I had, uh, I had uh, high school basketball scholarships, uh, to go to Longwood, uh, Jerome Kersey would have been my teammate if I'd have taken that scholarship, but I had a lot of stuff that was bound up in me as a young man and I really like hitting things. Um, I really like punishing people playing football, and I mean that's just the way I was. I went through some stuff that just made me somewhat an angry kid, um, so I had no problem. I did not want to play basketball; it wasn't aggressive enough for me. And then, and I ran track, but they only called me on uh, <laughs> they called me on track day if one of the other guys that were sprinters that they couldn't make it, maybe they were in trouble, maybe they got ISS in school suspension. Yeah. And then I get a call, hey, can you run tomorrow? And then I could run because I still got to be pretty fast. Yeah. Yeah.
1: You you said that you had all this rage and you had to hit something. Where did that come from?
0: Well, you know, when when you're 15 to 16 years old, there's a lot of things that are impressionable to you. And uh, I I guess to say the the more I found out about my genealogy um, at that age, that was all all lies. Um, And it took me to a place of frustration. I left my parents' house when I was uh, 16 years old. I never lived there again. I moved... uh, I moved in with my grandmother, who uh, who chose to love me as hard as she could till the day she died, and that was that was my story. And I stayed ticked off with a, with some people that love me very much, and I understand that now. But uh, when you're 16 year old, you don't quite understand when people don't tell you the full truth of right. who you are. Yeah. I just found a brother that I, that I, that's 54 years old um, last March.
1: That you didn't know you had.
0: I kind of knew they were there, but we made contact via Instagram. I mean, by chance, he saw me posting a photo of my kids and. Uh, He chimed in to me and I said, I think I know this name. And then we did more research and eventually we started making contact. And then uh, there was a second brother who passed away. They invited me to the funeral and I went to the funeral and uh, I got to meet uh, brothers and sisters and nieces and nephews that I didn't know.
1: What was that like? That had to be-
0: Yeah, I needed some help so I went with my daughter. (laughs) I took her with me. Uh, I said, this isn't about us nor are we trying to infiltrate uh, this family. Um, We don't need any answers. Um, but I have had a chance to, to speak with the guy who carries the same blood that I do, and it'd be nice for us just to, uh, just to get to meet him. And we've been in touch, we talked uh, on Wednesday. So it's been a nice, cool journey. Um, I've made peace with all the other things uh, and the turmoil that it caused me when I was younger. Um, and it, it's okay, it, it's, wow. I, it's just a part of my journey. I mean, so many of us have different stories, and a lot of times we're not able to share them. Um, I've become more comfortable within myself, um, kind of got a better idea of who I am. I don't live behind a mask anymore, and and I'm I'm okay with that.
1: Bridgestone knows you want the same thing from your tires as you do from the Cleveland Browns. Clutch performance when it matters most. That's why Bridgestone DriveGuard tires are built with the resilience to withstand bumps, bruises, even nails. Engineered to drive up to 50 miles after a flat, they're designed with the sole purpose of getting you where you need to go. Bridgestone, official tire of the NFL so you were a gifted athlete for sure yes um, what was what was your recruitment like because <laughs> when I, I remember watching the games and don Cricky would mm-hmm. mention the college that you came from and i would look at my dad and say dad i've never heard of that school where is that well it's a small division two school right um and we'll get later to your journey and how you go from there to the nfl right. but what was your high school recruitment like how did you end up at elizabeth city state
0: so uh, Back then there was a conference called the CIAA, Central Intercollegiate Athletic Association, which was Norfolk State, Hampton University, North Carolina Central. You'll probably hear some of these names and a lot of the defensive backs and wide receivers throughout the NFL for years Mm -hmm. come from this conference, except uh, you know, I I had no intention of playing uh, college football. Um, I didn't care for school. I wanted to travel. I needed to get as far away and see as much as I could, and that's what I wanted to do. So I, I probably had 10 or 12 small college scholarships. I think the biggest one at that time was Wichita State. Well, I don't even know if they have a football team anymore. Um, but I got, and, and my high school coach was Joe Bugs. Joe Bugs and my mother and my best friend got together, and they said, man, you should take one of these scholarships. And Joe Bugs said, well, why don't you ride down Elizabeth City? I went there. I'm a Hall of Famer. Ah, so him and his wife took me down Elizabeth City. Um, and, and the thing was, and, and, and I, this it sounds silly, but there were girls there. There, when I got on campus, I saw all these girls, and I, I grew up in a high school, I was with the same girls from first grade to graduation. So sure. I, I saw the same people all the time. So when I went there, I am like, man, this could be exciting. There was only 1,200 <laughs> people. But for right. me, that's huge. Yeah, uh, right. <clears throat> And uh, I said, I'll give it a year. And I, I told them I'd go to school for a year. And if I don't like it, I can always go in the military. Because I had taken the test for the military. I was about to sign the papers before I decided to go down to Elizabeth City. Were
1: you more about the ROTC? I think I read I once you were I did ROTC for three ROTC, years also. And even when I got in college. And really what your thing was
0: yeah, yeah. at that time. I've, I've always had a lot of respect for the military. Um, Uncle Cornelia served uh, two tours in Vietnam. My son is Navy now. My old man was Army. My cousins. I mean, we're a military family. My old man worked in, uh, as a welder in Newport New Panu Shipbuilding, which builds. Oh, wow. Uh, aircraft carriers and submarines. My sister is an engineer for the same company, Northrop Grumman, Who's she's been doing that 33 years. So we're around the military where I live at home and I I had a lot of respect and I kind of liked the uniform and, uh, and the fact that I would get to travel was a big deal for me. And even when I got in school, I did not visualize the National Football League. It was far from anything that I could imagine. I had never met a professional player. I had never gone to a professional game. I hadn't even been in a professional stadium. So this was something that it was way beyond my comprehension. Were you a fan?
1: Uh, Did you watch?
0: Yeah, I, you know, everybody likes the Raiders at some point in their life. Everyone likes the Minnesota Vikings. I was a big, I love the purple people leaders sure. back then and the Redskins. You know, the closest team to my hometown uh, is the Redskins uh, and, and Cleveland. I had, I, I think I heard of them, but I had no awareness. <laughs> they didn't come on TV. Sure. We right. saw Philly, Pittsburgh, Dallas and Washington. Those yeah. were the teams we saw. It now. was a
1: much more regional game then. Mm-hmm. It really was. Um, When you got to Elizabeth City State, you said that football really wasn't your focus, but there had to be a point where you realized that you were really good at this sport and that perhaps it could become a profession. What point did that happen for you?
0: My junior year, uh, we were playing in what we call the Fish Bowl. It's a big game between Norfolk State University and and Elizabeth City travels up to Norfolk. And it's probably 20,000 people. My old man, my father was a, a Shriner. Shriner sponsors this mm-hmm. game. It's a big deal. Um, and, and I just lit it up. I went for seven, 450 some yards and 67 yard touchdown And I won the MVP of that. And then the USFL was big then. Mm-hmm. The USFL in 83, 84 were coming around to recruit um, Dwight Taylor and uh, Bobby Futrell. Bobby Futrell ended up playing with Tampa for a few years, but they both got drafted in the USFL. They kept coming back to watch me run routes Well, you know, they were the the star defensive backs and the guy said, we'll be back to look at you next year. And a lot of it goes to a guy named Dominelli. Dominelli was a big time scout. He ended up with Indianapolis before he passed, I believe last year, but he was a big time scout here at Cleveland. And he always came to me every, every spring for the next couple of years and said, we're going to keep looking at you. And I was like, wow, they're talking about the NFL. Uh, I never thought that, that uh, I would be playing in the National Football League, there was no way. My old man said, what makes you think you can, can do that? But that's the same kind of thing I got from that side, you know, my whole life. There was, you know, why do football when you can cut wood in the yard? You can cut grass. I got some chores for you to do, that's just the way it was for me.
1: That was, that was a prevailing mindset, I think, amongst people that worked really hard for a living. And I think maybe looked at that as a pipe dream, as something that Correct. couldn't happen. A lot of kids are encouraged, you can do anything that you try. When you look back on your journey, knowing that you had to overcome internal obstacles like that, where did the fortitude come from, if it wasn't from outside sources, to tell you that you could do that?
0: I didn't want to fail. I just didn't want to fail. Was
1: that what motivated Uh, you? The the fear of failure? I
0: didn't want to fail, and and I always competed, and and we talked about my cousin. Um, When he was 17, I was 13, and he took me with him everywhere. So that means we were playing, I was playing against 17-year-old kids, Mm. and he would scream and yell at me, don't be afraid, box out, shoot, don't be afraid, play defense. He was coaching me all the time about competing and competing, and every time I'd leave hanging out with my cousin and go back home, I was always getting better than my friends, always getting better. Um, and I like that about him. And, and it was the same way when I got to college. There were so many guys there that were from Division One A schools. You might say the is the Saint Eds, and all those schools that had the powerhouse schools. My little school, I was just one of the thirty-two guys that came in as freshmen. No one ever paid me any mind. I was just Joe Bugs' guy that he got a, you know, he got a scholarship and his kid's gonna play. And then I started to become a starter as my sophomore in college. I just right. kept taking positions from people that were designed to get those positions. I just worked harder. Then the big thing for me, and it always has been this, is not to make mistakes and not to put the ball on the ground. If, if, if I can be where I'm supposed to be, not, we call them circle M's, that's a mental mistake. If I don't get circle M's and if I do what I'm supposed to do and be on time and all those things, then odds are I can win out a, I can win out a battle of, 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 just by not giving up.
1: Yeah. What impact do you think the military background had on your success?
0: Well, I don't know if it had so much on me. I mean, uh, I used to have to get up at ROTC in college and, and, and doing spring ball and I had to do ROTC responsibilities, go to class all day and then do spring ball um, uh, responsibilities. So, I mean, it, it, but all my buddies were doing it too. You know, all my buddies were, you know, it was five or six of us that uh, we're in also ROTC and play ball. But, you know, eventually it got to my senior year, and I was about to start taking money from them. And they said, well, you have to make a decision. And they tell me you're going to get drafted. I'm like, well, that's what they say. But, I, you know, I haven't seen anybody that, that's been here enough to tell me you have what it takes to, to make it in the National Football League.
1: Wow. So you're nearing the end of your career in college. What, what is the next phase like, pre-draft, were you hearing from teams? Were you working out for teams? And what did you do on draft day? How did you spend that?
0: Well, I, I, uh, I was in college and, and there would be scouts. I mean, we could go to Pizza Hut for all you could eat, 350 at Pizza Hut. And then they'd call me at one o'clock and say, hey, there's a scout here, wants you to run a four. I'm like, dude, I just ate nine <laughs> slices of pizza. I'm not, because there was no schedule. There wasn't, okay. I, I, and I wasn't at one of the big universities in a big time name where they would uh, give you an advance. We'll be here at 9.30 for you right. to do this. They just showed up like almost like they were just driving by and saw school and they'd pull over. Let's go see what they have to offer. Um, but I ran for a few, few guys and a few scouts. USFL was competing. I ended up getting drafted in the USFL in the fourth round, but they were about to become defunct. So I never, uh, I never went that far. But uh, as far as uh, working up towards the draft, I was on my grandmother's porch. Um, I was home during that time and, uh, you know, there was no ESPN in my neighborhood. And so th- and I, I didn't know the, the protocol. I didn't know that, you know, they go from first round. I I thought the third or fourth round would be in 15 minutes. How long does it take a team to pick somebody? Um, (laughs) I didn't realize there was a a process. Um, And I kept calling my agent and then we went on four or five hours. And finally he said, we're coming to the sixth or seventh round. We're expecting you go somewhere in there. I said, okay, great. And I got a phone call from that same guy. My mom and my grandmother live, you know, across the yard from each other. Um, And my mom said, D, they call me the van at home. She says D. I think this might be some of those guys calling you. So I went over there and took the phone call. And Dominelli said, Reggie, I told you we're going to try and get you. The New York Jets are up now. If they don't take you, get ready to come to Cleveland. I said, okay, cool. Um, Then about 15 minutes later, Dominelli called me back. He says, welcome to Cleveland. So that was it for me. I was sitting on my ground. I got in my car. I went down to Elizabeth City. I partied with my buddies. I came back, got on a plane, and, and ended up in Cleveland.
1: What did you know about Cleveland?
0: Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Uh, what was your
1: first impression of cleveland
0: i've been in new york and i've been to dc you know college days and running with my buddies who lived in the area in, in philadelphia and and then my uncles lived in new york um and when i was a kid so i got to spend time you know riding on subways and i kind of was familiar with the cities i just didn't know you know i guess i was more fearful or, or um uh, just nervous about you know exactly how this worked and you'll hear me talk about my cousin but it, this is like one of those things when i went to the combine and got invited my cousin said, just remember this and keep it all simple. Run fast, break right, and catch the ball. You've been doing that since <laughs> you were eight years old. Don't think about who's in front of you, where you are, and the people about you. Just do what you can do best. It'll work itself out. And that's where it was when I got to Cleveland. Run fast, break right, catch the ball. Keep it simple and stay focused on what the prize is. And that was just trying to really make this football team. Because now I'm the first guy from my hometown to ever get this far, uh, to have a chance to play in the National Football League. And... There's a lot of people looking at me, a lot of people going, well, he's pretty good, but he ain't good enough to play in the league. Because we think that the NFL players are way above us. what um, I realized is when you get here, there were guys from Ohio State and Oklahoma and Notre Dame and USC and Miami and Florida. I mean, I see all these guys play on Saturday and here I am here with them. And then I realized, it ain't that good. <laughs> <laughs> you're right there with him. Yeah, them. man. They, that, what's wrong with that guy? How did he go to school there for four years and he can't even figure out how to run routes? They've been babysitting him. That's what my thing. Th- I had to do something to get my head right. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> hey, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. So, when you're at Elizabeth City State, there's no frills. No. You're doing your own laundry. You're washing your practice gear on your own.
0: You wash your own pack, practice gear. We took buses to Florida. We took buses to Middle Tennessee. 16, 18 hour trips would stop somewhere to high school, get a um, what we call a walkthrough or get a legs. We ate Bojangles chicken on the way down. And then if we we're lucky, we might get some at Ponderosa on the way back. That was it. The only thing I got when I went to Elizabeth City, other than an education was a pair of shorts, a t-shirt a sock socks, uh, a jacket strap and cleats. And when I left, that's exactly what I left with. Absolutely nothing else. Um, it, it's it's a bare bones. We ran. We had a flat tire two hours outside of Elizabeth City on our way to Florida. Took us two hours to get a bus to come pick up the, the jack and all that stuff. We just stood on the side of the road. This is a college team, and it's still the same way. It's still the same way.
1: How do you think that background helped you once you got to the NFL?
0: Made me thirsty. It made me thirsty. You know, I, I remember standing beside Clay Matthews in the locker room, uh, and I was getting undressed, and and uh, I said, well, "What do we do with these clothes?" And Clay said, "Drop them." I said, "What?" I said, my family taught me to pick your clothes up behind yourself. You don't just drop stuff. He goes, no, they got guys. They're going to come and pick that up. I mean, this is how they do. They had crab legs at at training camp. I mean, who gets prime rib? I never had prime rib before. When I landed (laughs) funny Cleveland, I don't know, 1985, Travis Tucker and I met in New New Jersey. Travis Tucker was a 10th round draft pick. We met in New Jersey. I said, hey, you're a pretty big fella. And uh, he says, yeah. He said, I just got drafted by the Cleveland Brown. I go. Me too. <laughs> he says I'm tenth round. I said I'm seventh round. So we get on a plane. We never met before. We get here and we became friends immediately. And I said, uh, when we got off, there was a brown derby over by the airport. And they really? had a picture of a lobster tail, prime rib, a baked potato. I said, if I make this football team, that's what I'm gonna get. And I made the football team and that's where we went, to eat, me and Travis. <laughs> I didn't even know that they had medium rare, medium well. Really? I didn't know I I didn't know that. I had never been to a restaurant that they ask me how I want to prepare. My mom cook it, and you eat it the way she cooks it. <laughs> and you'll ask no questions. And you'll you know? like it. And you'll like it. I mean, my pregame meal in college was two slices of roast beef, um, two boiled eggs, uh, two slices of toast, and a baked potato for four years. That was the same pregame meal. That, that, so that's all I knew. That was a, delicate, that, that was a specialty yeah. for, uh, for me in college.
1: So you get here, and everything's done for you. Everything is first rate, top shelf yet you're supposed to stay hungry and work hard to make the team. How did you sort of do that mental gymnastics that this is the way it's gonna be and not get soft?
0: There were 19 receivers here when I came here as a rookie. 19? There were 19 receivers. This is before they had a minimum of how many people you could have in camp. Wow. Um, I didn't have time to waste. Um, and I wasn't a good receiver. Yes, I could catch and I could run, but then there were so many intangibles that go along with being a pure NFL receiver understanding uh, zone coverage, man coverage, cover three, the guy drops, who do you watch? If they blitz, what's the sight adjustment? All those things, I was way behind the, 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 the eight ball compared to a lot of other guys. And uh, I was fortunate enough just to make it on special teams, just pure raw talent. I could run and jump, and I, I wasn't afraid to tackle, and I wasn't afraid to block. And um, I, all that to Marty Schottenheimer I give me a chance. And I needed, um, I needed another year or two to figure out how to become a pure receiver. I think that through one pass me my first year, I had one one pass catch. My first year, mostly, all I did was block for Kevin and Ernest. I got to start three times, but they were all running plays. Crack, backer, crack, backer, backer. I mean, they did all these things that put me in the game. Um, But Lindy and Fani played a major part in my career here.
1: Well, Bernie arriving, and whether Marty wanted to or not, because he loved to run the ball, but now Bernie's here, Lindy's here, and the next thing you know, this run team that had a pair of 1,000-yard rushers throwing the ball all over the place, and you were a big part of that. Right. Talk about that transition.
0: For me, it was great. Um, I got my first chance to, to play and become a part of the organization. Webster Slaughter came in. Uh, Brian Brennan, I mean, these guys are cocky. These guys assure themselves. Mm-hmm. These guys expect the ball every down. Uh, and I was never like that, but I loved the way they were. And it made me become, uh, want to be as, as good as they were. Uh, they were sure of themselves. I was unsure. I knew what I could do talent-wise, but the whole time I'm watching all this take, take place in front of me. Um, but again, I go back to the fundamentals, just do what I can do, until I felt like I was a part of. Because when you're a small school guy, the only way you can prove yourself is by being better or equal to some of the other guys, but you have to earn their respect. Um, and I think I earned it by being a good blocker and, and a good team player. But after a while, with Lindy's uh, knowledge of how to find and get me open and how to uh, teach me um, you know, sight adjustments and, and blitz awareness and, and to read defenses and stand over there and, and understand what the triangle is. And when this guy does this, no man impossible can get back over here. All those things that, that Lindy had uh, way ahead of time that, that, that he taught this uh, our receiving core was uh, was great.
1: When we talked to B.B., he said he felt like he was the best athlete on See? the team.
0: what did I tell you? I know.
1: <laughs> he he yeah. said... He didn't matter if it was ping-pong or basketball or football. And we did it Or all. speed. Was he right? We,
0: we played basketball against each other and challenged each other. We played ping-pong. We shot pool. We did everything who was the we could. I was. <laughs> and if you ask him, he'll say he was. If you ask any of us who was the fastest, we all would say the same. Yeah. We had to. We had a board in the receivers room, Richard Manby and our receivers coach. How many drops you had in training camp, and practice, and games, it cost us money. And the receivers will go out on whoever money was the highest at the end of the year. Wow. We competed against each other and it made us all better. Is that,
1: how much do you think that played into the team's success ultimately? That you guys were this perfect blend of guys where the chemistry clicked and you were friends with all of them, but you wanted it to, at the end of the day to beat all of them too. I,
0: I, I always wanted to be the guy, um, but I've been a worker bee uh, pretty much all my life. And, and I kind of knew where I fit in. Um, I knew when we got the game plan on Wednesday and Thursday that Webb was the number one guy. I knew that Brennan did some very special things and he was going to have opportunities. But you got to realize we had Herman Fontenot coming out of the backfield. You had Ernest who catched the rock. K-Mac was going to get his touches, and the Hall of Famer Ozzy Newsom, hes getting his cut. So uh, all I needed to do was do what I could do and know that if I only get three or four attempts, to make the most out of my three or four attempts, and I was okay with that because I was—I was a part of something. And the thing is, we won 12 games my second year. We won the AFC Championship. We were all 22, 23 years old. This was happening in front of us, and all we were doing was we were having a good time. We were playing football, but we were committed to each other. We respected each other, and uh, and we could all look each other in the eye at the end of the day and know we all played good ball. We never had to worry about anybody selling us out, not on that group.
1: Bridgestone knows you want the same thing from your tires as you do from the Cleveland Browns clutch performance when it matters most. So when unpredictable weather strikes, Bridgestone Taranza tires don't just handle wet conditions, they're built for them. They deliver with the unfazed confidence and quiet control of a clutch performer and make it look easy. Bridgestone, the official tire of the NFL. This question isn't a football question, but what was it about that group, that mid to late 80s Browns group, that made you guys so special? And I don't mean the football aspect of it. You guys were close and you were friends. How did that figure into the ultimate success?
0: I I think a lot of us come from some of the same kind of backgrounds. Um, I think we all come from uh, humble beginnings somewhat, uh, loved by our family, respected by our peers. Um, And I, I think as you go through your days and the way you conduct yourself, people get drawn to it. People are attracted to guys who work hard. They're attracted to guys who stand up for something. Um, and I think that's what it was for us. Uh, and, and we competed against uh, Hanford Dixon and Frank Minifield who you know created the dogs and, and all that stuff in that era. But you should see how Brennan will go at Minifield and Webster will go at Hanford. How we will go tug war to war with these guys. And, and I, we had as much respect And that locker room, uh, as any group uh, or core receivers uh, were a special group, no question. And you still had Gerald McNeil, Ice Cube, running kicks back. So we brought it with us. When we came and walked in the room, we were respected. And and believe me, (laughs) you know Killer. Killer's Gerald McNeil. We always called him Killer. He's the smallest guy out
1: there, but he's a flat-out killer. (laughs) And you didn't mention Metcalf yet. Yeah, he hadn't even gotten here yet. Met got here four years later. I mean, that group of guys, the personalities, uh, the skill... But it was the camaraderie, I think, off the field. You guys were kind of known as this Browns team that played together and then stayed together. Not just off the field, but even today you guys have very close friendships.
0: To this day, we're all as good of friends as we were uh, when we played ball. That's rare. Um, There's probably six, seven guys I talk to on a weekly basis, no question. Really? Uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah. You uh, know, with BK and, and EB, and I, I do initials because that's, everybody's got a nickname in my sure. neighborhood, uh, and Matt, who's in Seattle, um, I talked to him this week, and K-Mac and I talk almost every other day, Felix Wright, Danny Fikes in Hawaii, but yet Danny and I came in together. All these guys are my teammates that, uh, I don't know, we, we respect each other. We like each other. Mm-hmm. Um, we've helped each other out. A lot of them helped me out when I was having a rough go in life, and, and, and you know, and when you, when you go through things outside of the game, and there's guys there to help you out, um, those are your friends. Those are truly your friends.
1: I'll bring up some painful memories. Okay. Um, and just get your thoughts on these games. When I say the drive, what comes to mind?
0: Disappointment. It was probably the, it was probably the worst disappointment for for me at that time because. Uh, two minutes to go. We think we've got that game won. When, when Brennan goes down and catches that ball, uh, and we score, we think that's it. Uh, and we didn't play like that. Was it? Oh, we're going to give up. Or we thought that we were ready and prepared, and we were 12 and four. We were. We knew we were the better team. So disappointed in that one.
1: What was it like standing there helplessly watching John do his thing?
0: Frustrating. Uh, it's. It, it, play here a tip ball there uh, we didn't get any of those breaks on that drive i think they had a couple of third and longs i know there was a third and 18 to soul over the middle mm-hmm. that was the, the back break and when, when that happened i go oh we're in trouble because <laughs> they were about to cl- cross on the 50-yard line um and yeah those things those adversities that we went through brought us closer um, and how we became back and became driven the next year had a lot of testament to do with guys like bk and, uh, and Ernest. Um, the drive that they, they led the offense by, um, I, I think that was a, was a big part of who we were. We still were young. We still thought we still had enough time and, and uh, enough talent to be able to come back from whatever we went through.
1: Yeah, and you did, and you got back in that same position the next year, and then the fumble happens. That was heartbreaking. How, how, how did the two compare in your mind? Was there one that's more... Disappointing than the other? Is there one that you wake up in the middle of the night thinking about? Well, unfortunately, they come on TV almost
0: every holiday, and I never watch them. Uh, one, were, we were watching uh, Elway and his team go down the field. The other one, we didn't have time to think about what was taking place because we were too busy playing catch up their entire game. I mean, and, and what transpired at the end. You know, all of us, I don't think any of us had ever brought it up, um, tearing his story. I don't even think we talked about it. Um, as a group of players when we play golf together. Um, and then Ernest wrote his book and he discussed it more openly. And I think we talk about it a little bit more because he tends to want to talk about life and overcoming the obstacles in life. So we discussed those things. But, uh, you know, that, that night that, uh, you know, when all that transpired out, out in Denver, uh, something happened again. There's, there's always these things that, that uh, draw people closer. We were about to take off on our plane leaving Denver and uh the captain gets the nose of the plane up and there's a big boom in the back and white smoke comes through the entire through the entire plane he drops the nose slams it on brakes he turns around we go back to the gate and he says it's gonna be a few hours something's wrong with the plane we gotta get it fixed out we want everybody to get off we get out it's denver they're going to the super bowl you know we got the press we got some of the family members and our entire team so we walk in the airport and there's one bar with the door cracked like that and we walk in, in this bar and we put our foot in the door the guy says okay you guys come on in we sit there and drank together that night with the media uh, with all of us as a group as team and we were hurting uh, and we finally got back to Cleveland but uh, nothing destroyed our friendships they made us maybe pause at uh, where we were and the, the, the losses that we had uh, had to deal with but it drew us closer and I, I think that's, that's why we're so close now um, we've seen the pain and earnest knowing that uh, we wish things wouldn't turn out that way. But I've also seen him be a very strong and positive, solid man, uh, grandfather, um, who, who just keeps chugging away.
1: Are those losses, have they over time become easier for you to think about? I never think about them. You don't?
0: I, I have pushed them down so far because I can go back to, you know, the one I remember is in the fumble year, um, I think Webb had a ball tip off his shoulders. I think I dropped the pass, Kevin fumbled a pass, Bernie threw an interception. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything that could go wrong was going wrong. And we were down 21-3. And I remember in Denver, in the old mile high, they had those aluminum benches. Mm-hmm. And they were doing, da 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 hey, da-da-da-da. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I've never heard it so loud. And we were losing 21-3 and we we're going into halftime. I don't know if there's a lot to say, but we come out rolling. We come out playing and every time we score, they score and eventually got to where we were in it, but we never had time to think. We just had time to do and I always used to love it when Lindy and Fonny, you know, and some teams will do it now, you know, when you just can't get things going and Lindy will call us in with Richard Man and receivers and the running backs. say, listen, we're going at the line. Bernie call it and we're going with it from here and that's what we do and we lock and load and we know then we're all going to be rolling and then that's how it works. Same thing with the double overtime against the Jets. You know, there's something about that group that when we were behind the eight ball, we found a way to pull together. And that's just the way it's been with us.
1: Yeah. When you look back on your career, Reggie, is there, is there one play that you think most typifies the kind of player you were? Absolutely. What, what play was that? Absolutely.
0: I've, I've said this. It was 1988. Bernie had gotten hurt, uh, Pagel, Danielson. Don Strzok comes in from Florida, Bernie comes back, gets hurt again, Don Strzok, we were playing Houston, um, and Webb had broken his arm, I think Ernest has broken his arm, I mean we were all over the place. Um, It was fourth and three, and we were trying to make the playoffs, Um, and uh, Marty Schottenheimer has a way of looking at me and just making me believe anything, you know, and I love that about him because I think today, and maybe it's money, maybe it's the egos of young players, but I think they all need a coach that when he looks at them. They are. Die. They're right there with them, you know. And he says, we're gonna go to you, wide slant. Call it. So I take the play in. I said, he said wide slant. That's all he said. That means I have to get open. And we get if I get open, we make the playoffs. We get first down. And the next two plays, Webster catches a touchdown. It's fourth and three. I took a shot from Donaldson coming over the middle. My head hits the ground. It bounces back up. I go out for a play. I go back in and then Webster scores a touchdown. We go to the playoffs. So I made everybody on my team eight grand. Nobody gave me a dime. <laughs> Because <laughs> if I don't catch that rock right then, there is no playoffs. You know, we lost the next week in the playoffs. But the scrambling group of those guys—how we had people coming in, Curtis—I mean, we had names coming in our locker room every week. Somebody trying out because everybody was going down, yeah. and we scramble. And, and it was—it was a fun year, and
1: it was my best year here in Cleveland. All the great plays that you made, though. Fourth and touchdowns. It's—it comes down to the fourth, fourth and, and three. Fourth and three
0: because it was across the middle, and they were playing one lurk. One lurk means he's coming. That means that safety is waiting on the slant. And you know it's coming. And there was no gloves back then, it was cold. And I caught it and took a shot, and first down. I mean, for me, that says, right, that's Langy Bangy right there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> when, I, um, when I think about your career, aside from the touchdowns, if, I, if I'm looking for that snapshot, it's you and Webster in midair, yeah. high off the ground. Sky jamming. Sky jamming. That's what we call it. What, Where do we get it you, from? Those pictures <laughs> right. are incredible. Mm-hmm. And w- when you look at that image, what do you think of now?
0: The good old days. The good old days. Uh, Webb and I were like that. Uh, and, and, and how we came upon that, uh, that actual thing, uh, Michael Jordan had just won the dunk contest. And um, the dunk where he goes baseline and leans forward, so we were all imitate Mike in, uh, in practice. And, um, and then Webb and I did it, and said, hey, when we score, whoever scores, you meet them in the middle, and we're going we're gonna to do that. And that's how it started. And just by chance, it became the centerfold for Sports Illustrated in 89. Mm-hmm. And the guy who took the picture looks like we're 10 feet up in the, in the <laughs> air. He's, he's coming up. Yeah, at you. yeah, and it looks nice. And then I was like, man, that's pretty cool. And then it went, uh, I guess now you we'll would call it viral. So a lot of folks want that. We actually, I, I always joke Kevin, uh, we went, did an autograph show down in Columbus last year. And Mick. uh, Webster and I did more autographs of that photo than Kevin and Ernest. It was the first time we outsold them, so uh, we got more than you, right? (laughs) Very still competitive. Always, (laughs) always. After (laughs) all these years. Used to see us golf. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I can imagine.
1: Um, When when you look back on your career and um, you're leaving Cleveland, what was that like for you? Because you had so many great memories here, so many great friends. Um, and then you were ready to put it in your rearview mirror. Talk about that time.
0: I uh, I had a rough time with Belichick when I first got here. Uh, he came with good intentions, no question. And what he's done, I have the absolute most respect for him. Um, but he had a group of guys who had been together for six or seven years who had won games, and he wanted to change us, and I think... It was too late to change this we had become what we wanted to it was our team here you are a new head coach you're coming in our building telling us these are the new rules and that's that didn't work for me um so i, I held out and my contract year was up and i held out based on my statistics throughout my career i, I should have been at a certain level as far as a pay grade he didn't think that my talent warranted that pay um so i held out and he started to take money off the table michael jackson came to cleveland mike did a great job and then before you realize it uh I finally come in, I don't have a lot of choices. They didn't make that kind of crazy money they make today. Um, and then I ended up playing a full year here in Cleveland. Uh, hit some bad blood um, when I left. I mean, they pretty much suspended me for a game. Um, I wasn't happy about that. Um, I ended up taking them to court and getting my money back, but that wasn't a good time for me. Yeah. I was sitting at a bar in, uh, in Virginia in the off season, and uh, I saw my name being the number one up there for Plan B free agent. I was like, uh-oh, this ain't good. That means I'm not going back to Cleveland. That's all I said to myself. Yeah. I called my receivers coach, Richard Mann. He says, don't come back here. The man don't want you here. And wow. I said, okay, Chief. It's all good. So uh, I got a phone call the next morning from my agent. He says, Kansas City, Green Bay, Miami, Minnesota, Indianapolis have already called. Where you want to go first? Wow. And uh, I went to Indianapolis and Ted Marchabrota, I uh, was the coach there. Very peaceful, nice man. I, I enjoyed just sitting with him. just seemed like sitting with a grandfather, um, he said, "You go to these other places, and you give me the number they offer you. We're gonna run an offense just like we ran in Buffalo. We want you to be the Andre Reed in this offense. We got Billy Brooks and Jesse Hester. You guys will be the three like we run up there, and that's what." So I went all around um, the different teams, and, and when I came back, I gave Ted a number, and Ted said, "We got you." Um, I signed with the Indianapolis Colts, and another big thing is I looked at the schedules. I said, "Well, who does Indy play this year?" Mm-hmm. First thing, opening day, Cleveland Browns. Okay, and that way that here. weighed into your decision. Oh, absolutely. Without a question. Do you Without remember that question. game? Absolutely. How'd you do? I scored a touchdown to beat him and threw the ball at Belichick. Absolutely. <laughs> you Yes, my friends and you can see it on film. When you run that back, you'll see me score a touchdown in the fourth quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter against the Taylor guy. I can't remember his name. His last name was Taylor. He was a cool guy. And then you'll see me sling the ball over towards Belichick out of frustration. Did
1: you say anything to him?
0: No, 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 I just, I just slung it and, you know, I, anyone who knew the story would have known what I was doing, yeah. you know, and that was, that was bad blood. And it's funny now because over time, uh, Belichick and I have made a lot of peace. Um, I didn't realize a lot of things that, that transpired. Every time they went to the Super Bowl, <clears throat> I would get a phone call from the Boston Globe from different newspapers. And they go, I didn't want to talk to me and they will always try to get me to pull something out of bad about Belichick because of my journey with him here. Um, and then one of the reporters says, you don't know, do you? He recanted all the frustration. He said, you were one of the biggest mistakes that he made, um, in Cleveland by, by the controversy he caused with you, I guess. And then I said, no, I didn't know that. He says, yeah. And then we come to terms. And so when New England came here a couple of years ago, I work for the league. I'm a uniform right. inspector, yeah. and uh, Bill and I sit there and we just smile, and we talked for a few minutes. And uh, what it was, was that nice. like? Peaceful, because I respect him. I How respect can you not, anyone right? can do what he's done. Yeah. What some of the talent that he's brought to the table, uh, the culture they have there, um, and and some people call it cheating. Some people say if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he takes it right to the edge, and maybe yeah. a little bit over. But he's getting, a, he's maximizing his talent. He's doing all he can and he's dedicated. I watched him be the first guy in the building and the last guy to leave. And when you got a dedicated coach like that, the culture of your team should be as so. And I think six championship rings later speaks volumes. I have a lot of uh, admiration for Bill Belichick.
1: So after Indy, um, you're now moving to the next stage, which is your afterlife stage. What was that whole process like for you deciding that your body had no more to give and you were soon to become a former NFL player?
0: Well... There's a lot that transpired when I left here and went to Indy, um, and there may have been some good times in Indy, but there was a lot of um, I was lost in Indy. You know, How I led so? the AFC my second year receiving, and uh, I, I, I found myself being in places and doing things um, that if I was with my guys, I wouldn't have been there. I was a loner in Indy. I didn't have my crew with me. I didn't have guys that I knew, and uh, you know, before you realize it, I'm, I'm spending time in places. That I don't need to be. I don't need to be having cocktails at uh, you know 10, 30, 11 o'clock in the afternoon, and then drinking to three and four, and then going home. and And that became a uh, continuous cycle for me. Um, and and that was that was probably the next fifteen years were probably the darkest of my life.
1: What was it about that time in your life that you finally came to a realization that I can't live this life anymore? How did that happen?
0: Well, after. After years of, of demoralization, I guess that would be the right word, and, and the frustration with myself, when, when you, you, you grow up, you do things in life, and if you don't know who you are as a human being, if you don't have any real substance or foundation to stand on, you're always kind of going with the flow or no real direction, I think you can fall off course. And, and, I, and I did that. I, I fell off course, and I just couldn't figure out how to get myself back um and then you know 2013 uh came back my, my teammate showed up at my door and uh he brought a new suggestion to me say hey let's try something different um and then you know my now wife w- was there to just um say yeah let's let's do this you know i had been sick in the hospital a few times and flex and, and danny and and then all the guys would w- come and check on me and met would call me from seattle and you know i, I my, my teammates were there to support me my college buddies who are still my best of friends uh, were worried to death about me, and needed to save my family. Um, so I tried something new. I went, uh, went to, um, went to Lutheran Hospital, uh, you know, six years ago, and uh, it saved my life.
1: How difficult was that whole process? Changing your lifestyle and moving into a new lifestyle. It's hard for people that are older in life to suddenly change lifelong habits.
0: Yeah, it's it's. Uh, well, my ego was was screwed up. You know, I, I, I wouldn't really tell the truth about myself because I, my name was bigger than, than who I was on the inside. Um, and I got to realize that who I'm on the inside is bigger than my name. Um, and I, and I, I needed to find something, something firm. Uh, and I started running with these guys and these guys sh- showed me how to live. I believe you can you can exist in life uh, and never live life. And I think that's what I was doing. I was 50 years old and I really still had no direction. You know, yeah, I had a couple bucks put away, a couple houses, cars, all that stuff, but I couldn't sustain anything of any, 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 any stuff, you know, right. I just didn't have any, any stuff. No relationship could stick. I was, was not a good employer. I was not a good son. I was not a good father. All those things that were, were absolutely horrible in my, in my life. And then you throw on the top of that, you're depressed because of this. And I, I, it's a, it's a, it's an amazing destruction of the soul. Um, but this new way of life that I found with these guys that I run with and this, this, this whole walk is completely different. I I'm, I'm living the life that I was chosen to live. I'm, I'm living the life and the person that I wanted to be. I wake up free in the mornings um, I, 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 and I, I play golf sober and I, I live my life. My wife's happy. My kids are great. Um, my mom doesn't worry anymore. I go to work every day. Um, I end up work doing the TV stuff with 19 again. I, um, I'm uniform inspector with the league and, and I work for Organi you know, auto group and and I've never been more happier uh, with less in my life
1: when you would come into the old stadium 75 80,000 fans yeah. on their feet <laughs> telling you With their yells and screams how much they cared for you and loved you um, I want to give you the opportunity to tell all of them and Browns Nation what they've meant to you
0: there's sometimes words don't, uh, it's a feel. Um, I feel this city. Um, I feel uh, the joy and, and, and the laughter of Browns fans because um, I've seen it. Um, even in losing seasons, I've seen it. Um, you know, Webster Slaughter and I used to always drive to games together on Sunday. And, uh, you know, and, and the fact that we would walk across and we would share times with young kids and mothers and, and things, and um, I've had mothers that come with their children now who are 30-some years old. This is the little boy. This is the picture of the little boy. You signed an autograph for 30 years ago. Wow. Um, and that's Cleveland for me. That's Cleveland in a nutshell. And I hope that the organization now gets it gets it right or gets it close or gets it moving in the right direction. Cause this, this city deserves an opportunity to compete amongst the best. Um, we haven't had an opportunity. We haven't, we haven't been fair to them. Um, and, I, and I look forward to the day and, and seeing
1: all that happen. How do you want Browns fans to remember you?
0: Langy bangy Show up every day, give you what I got. That's it. The city has always loved me. I've never had any issues in this city. None. Um, you stayed here? Treated me, I stayed here. I was gone for 10 years, and then I moved back. Another one of my you know, the crazy ideas back then. <laughs> like, I'm going to go back to the city you know, that, that I started in. Maybe things will get better. A geographical cure. They ain't going to get better until I get better uh in this city it's, it's it, like i said i'm around the, the city a lot i'm involved with a lot of different programs and different charity events events my golf and a lot of charity things and uh i fell in love with cleveland it'll always be home my wife when we go on cruises you know we we take mediterranean cruises and we go places and and uh and people ask well, where are you from and i go well she's from cleveland but i'm from virginia she goes you ain't from virginia no more <laughs> you're from cleveland you are now i, 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 I am from cleveland yeah. but I'm still a Virginia boy. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, it was great catching up with you. Thank you, Jay. And Browns Nation is thrilled that you're in a good place. Yeah. Stay yeah. there.
0: Thank you, Jay. I appreciate it.
1: Absolutely. Okay. Reggie Langhorn, be sure to join us next week on Club 46, Driven by Bridgestone, when we sit down with another all-time great Cleveland Brown. We'll see you soon.